one. Welcome everybody to episode, uh, it doesn't even matter anymore, the next episode <laughs> of Man, Buns, and Jesus. I am, uh, I'm Josh, I'm Pastor Josh Laborious, I'm the pastor of Edgewater Lutheran Church um, in Eastvale, California, in, in Southern California. And that over there, or if you're listening, the other voice on the podcast is going to be Ben Olschlager, who got a new mic this week. So everybody, congrats to Ben for upgrading his audio quality (laughs) a little bit. Um, He is the pastor of Good Shepherd in Michigan, near Detroit. (laughs) Close enough. Lake Orion, Michigan. Yeah, that one. Spelled like Orion, but it's Orion because... I don't know. Midwesterners love to butcher names. I I think. Anyway, uh, Josh and I are taking this one off the rails a little bit this week. Uh, <laughs> we yeah, we got on the call. We got on the call this week and uh, decided that we wanted to talk about something "quote unquote" fun. Um, and fun when I for say us, fun, not for everybody. Let's be yes. Clear. I mean, fun for us, not for everyone else. Um, so we're going to talk about critical theory because. Um, this is something that we enjoy kind of diving into and looking at from a, a theological, sometimes academic, sometimes pastoral perspective, um, and, and really kind of wade into what is this actually? Because it's, it's become such a uh, like boogeyman for so many people, both within the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, our home denomination, um, and especially and just everywhere this is a well, big yeah. thing for a lot of people yeah but in like in, in conservative denominations it's become a huge boogeyman um and it's become uh a weapon on the the more liberal side of of churches and politics and um so we're going to take a look at what it actually is um should we be afraid of it and are the responses that we see in culture to it healthy? Um, that's a lot to accomplish in one podcast. And break. Um, so we'll see what we actually get done today. But that's we'd like to do that over the course of one or two podcasts, and we'll, we'll see what we get done today in the time that we have. Um, so, Josh. Uh, you mentioned in our quote-unquote planning for today's episode that you've done some digging into to, to especially critical race theory. Um, so let's start there. What is your understanding of critical race theory? And do you know much about the, the scope of critical theory in general um, <laughs> above and beyond just critical race theory? Okay. And, and maybe I can respond from there. So let's... I'm, I'm going to be real upfront. I'm, I'm, and I guess I got to be careful when I say this. I am much more familiar than the average LCMS pastor on the workings of critical race theory. And I can extrapolate and assume how that would apply to general critical theory, but I don't, I'm not super familiar with, with other, with critical theory in general. So, um, to kind of explain my background, my understanding of critical race theory, I took a, I think it was my sophomore year at Vanderbilt. I w- one of my majors was education, and one of the one of the classes for education is a, is a class called the Social and Philosophical 
aspects of education or foundations of edu- like something like that. And we get there day one and something the teacher says, sounding. <laughs> yeah. And the teacher says very upfront, she's like, this is going to be a social justice class. Um, which like, wasn't, if you're familiar with Vanderbilt, it's, it's a very, um, in a lot of ways, it's a very typical liberal, liberal arts university. Um, you have a lot of people there that are, are, too smart for their own good and just and trying to self justify how much they get paid, um, frankly. And they just unveiled a new logo, which is stupid. It's it's not a good looking logo. They're like, <laughs> we're rebranding, and I was like, your brand was actually really nice, and now it anyway. They they picked a bad it's just, font. It's just a V. <laughs> it was well, it was it used to be like a classy V and a star, or a V with like an oak leaf in it, and now it's just a really dumb V. <laughs> that's not even proportioned well anyway so i'm taking this class in part so this professor's dissertation um was on critical race theory as it applies to education um i i believe i i like i i have i didn't look at what her dissertation was i didn't care i still frankly don't care i don't even remember her name um but part one of the one of the papers we read in the class was like the foundational work for critical race theory. So the the core of what I understand critical race theory to be is it looks at larger systems and and statistics and trends that they see in larger systems and equates that causally to racial in like systematic racial inequality so what i would assume more generalized critical theory is you're looking is you're looking at systems for systematic inequalities and systematic problems um now i i like full disclose like i'm just going to be really upfront with kind of where i stand on a lot of this stuff because first of all for you listening then you can stop guessing where i'm at um and we can just we can talk and you know kind of where where I'm coming from. Um, and and I'm like <laughs> newsflash, none of you are going to be fully happy with me. Um, <laughs> so on the one hand, like I said, I've read the foundational paper for critical race theory. And I am my second major in undergrad was mathematics. The statistics they use in that paper, it is not, it was not a well-conducted use of statistics. They um, very early in the paper, they kind of arbitrarily assigned values to help organize. So um, the example would be, you know, if if you're trying to sort, if you're trying to gather data on, on men and women, you assign men zero and women one, and, and you run. The problem is mathematics, the entire system of mathematics is predicated is built on the fact that one is greater than zero there is a relationship between those numbers and one is greater than zero so all of the operations you perform is predicated on that reality so when you arbitrarily assign them for organizational purposes that's really helpful until you start doing math with them because women are not greater than men men are not greater than women so you can't assign them numbers that have a greater than less than relationship because it's going to skew your numbers right so i read this paper 
And and there's a lot of stuff like that in in how they handle their data and how they handle their statistics that I was like, this doesn't discount everything you're saying, but the argument that you're making is not nearly as strong as you think it is. Um, so and and there's there's also the reality that none of it's experimental data. It's all you know we're kind of gathering it after the fact, which you can draw correlations, but you can't show causation. Like that's that's where my mathematical mind goes is um, you're noticing things, but you you can't possibly attribute direct causation like that's not. So on one hand, I think critical race theory in kind of that form in the highly academic form, I think it is way overblown. And I think that it makes a lot of a lot bigger claims than it actually has evidence for. And some of you right now, you're cheering. You're like, yeah, he's bashing critical race theory. But on the flip side, you know, there are there are correlations and there are patterns we see and we and um, this is something undergrad me never would have said. Right. Undergrad me would have stopped right there and said, you know, critical race theory is a bunch of bunk and we would have moved forward. Um, I like to think I've grown a little bit since then. <laughs> in some ways, in other ways, I've devolved, but, you know. Because uh, 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 something I've come to is when you deal with people, perception frequently matters just as much as reality does. So whether or not there is systematic inequality, whether it's race or anything else, if someone perceives that if I'm going to show them the love of Christ, which is my higher goal, right? Sometimes I, I maybe have to concede a little bit to show them love. And, and I think there are some realities where there are places where there is inequality, right? Um, where there is kind of a, a undercurrent or a I, I hesitate to use the word systemic. Uh, because for it to be for something to be systemic, I think it has to be like codified. It has to be baked in. And in most places, you're not going to find laws actively on the books, at least not that are actively enforced, that are racist or sexist or, or whatever your your ist is, right? Um, so I hesitate to use the word systemic, but I think there are undercurrents that we have to deal with. Um, and I, I'm optimistic that they're fading. I kind of is where I close because I think there there is definitely in, in positions of power and leadership in a lot of different places. It's kind of a boys club. And we can and, and it's a bunch. I mean, frankly, for a lot of these places, it's a bunch of old white dudes. Um, mm -hmm. And we complain, oh, it's sexist, it's 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 racist because they're old white dudes. Um, it's and and I think it's probably it's I I think it's more fundamental than that. I I don't think that the reason that they're kind of exclusive of of other races or other other people, I don't think it's because they there's like a racist problem. I think they're like these are my boys that I've been like, we've been leading this company or this or this whatever for 50 years. 
they're not going to give up their power to anybody, right? If I were to walk in straight white male, they'd be like, screw you too, man. Um, so that's kind of my, when, when I think about critical theory, uh, specifically critical race theory, that's to answer your initial question. That's what comes to mind for me is kind of, we're looking for systematic inequalities, systematic problems. Um, and, and how I feel about it is I think a lot of the causal statements are overblown, but that's not to say that we shouldn't think about this stuff and we shouldn't, um, mm -hmm. be careful about this stuff. And if necessary, take action with this stuff. Mm -hmm. How'd I do? Did I pass? I think, I think you did pretty good. Uh, I want to clarify a few things here and put them in. Like, in like, like this, uh, like this podcast. If you hate something I said, <laughs> I want to, I want to put the, some of this in, in like human language and not just in like academic language. Cause uh, I feel Did like I that'll geek help. out there um, moderately. Uh, Sorry. That's all right. It happens. My to brain's the a thesaurus. Um, anyway, so like, let's put uh, what you were talking about with correlation and causation into uh, an example here. Um, one of the frequently excited examples that, that critical race theory, race theory points to um, is something like home values, um, where critical race theory will look at populations of each race that is identified in the United States and it will look at the average home value for those different racial and ethnic groups. And uh, if you looked at those numbers, it is true that a, the average white person has a higher value home than the average black person or average Hispanic person uh, I don't remember where East Asian falls into that. I think much closer to, to white. Um, but it does identify a disparity there. And um, I think this is where something that you were kind of trying to describe, at least I think was getting at, um, in terms of its its use as a, tool to diagnose issues critical theory can be pretty helpful um and just and a, and above and beyond even critical race theory because it'll show you where there are statistical imbalances in things and where we can maybe start to do some things to address that but what often happens and i think this is what josh was getting at beyond that is that the diagnosis gets turned into the problem. Um, so well, see, where... that's that's something maybe I I think is worth because when I think diagnosis, I think you know the doctor telling you this is the problem. Mm -hmm. So I would say noticing those disparities, call it like an indicator light, like your check engine light comes on. Mm -hmm. um, so it tells you that maybe there's something you need to look at. Now it could just be there's a spider web in your engine. Or it could be that like you haven't changed your oil in two years and your engine's about to become a rock, right? Um, to quote so my I, mechanic recently, it looks like teriyaki in there. <laughs> so I'd say when we see those numbers, I think it's more of an indicator light than it is a diagnosis. That's, that's probably a better uh, better comparison, yeah. But it, it shows where there are problems. 
and then you have to actually do legwork to address them from there or um, where there could be problems because like with the home value example my immediate thought is if you take jeff bezos elon musk and the owners of all these nfl teams and you take their homes and their multiple homes that they own those are outliers that are going to really skew your statistical numbers mm-hmm. right you know if, if someone like jerry jones owns a 500 million dollar home for whatever freaking reason better be magic or something like that's gonna so i i think you're right and you need to look at it but you like you have to look at it with uh, a balanced view i think on the home value example though you mentioned that you have a hard time saying systematic and i i want to push you on that a little bit because one of the things that i think we can talk about this both theologically and in terms of the way that we approach this in the modern day is that systematic does not mean that it has to be something that's been a modern problem or a modern issue um going back to to the pentateuch it's described that sins are are curses on the third and fourth generation not just on the the generation that commits them um and that's not to say that like every time that we sin our great grandkids are going to pay the price for it but it means that the sins but they that we very commit, easily could yeah the sins that we could that we commit now could very easily have an impact on the lives of our grandkids and great grandkids and like it's the 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 example that comes to mind for me is if if there is a and maybe this kind of goes back to our our last week's podcast a little bit if a family falls apart and you have a broken family the chances of those kids then getting into families that that fall apart or are never really together the, the statistics go up a huge amount because they were never given that example of you know we stick together through whatever so yeah. you're right you don't you don't pay for any, every sin but you're right in that there's like it gets passed on right mm-hmm. problems don't just disappear with a new generation mm-hmm. And so with a lot of the issues that are, are being pointed to as systemic in the world today, it's not necessarily modern issues, though there might be modern issues that underlie some of these things. It's oftentimes historic issues that are still problems systemically, like the fact that uh, we'll take home values again as the example. Um, the reason that neighborhoods are demographically the way that they are for the most part is because of things like redlining where specific neighborhoods were designated as whites only by developers by banks by uh, in some cases governments um, and you couldn't get loans or even put a down payment on a house if you were of a certain nationality in a certain area and because of that those people were put into another area and oftentimes that the neighborhoods and communities that that black people especially were allowed to live in were not nearly as nice um they were often in industrial areas or polluted areas 
um, or farther away from any sort of amenities. And so their home values just naturally never increased. Um, and that's like, that's not a sin that we're necessarily actively pursuing as a, as a community anymore, but it's something that we feel the effects of because people have now grown up in that community generation after generation. And one of the biggest conveyors of generational wealth in the United States is real estate. So the fact that we as, as white people grew up in relatively nice neighborhoods where our parents, did your dad own your house when you were growing up? Yeah. Well, I mean, the bank owned the house, but dad was working on it. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but like you, your parents had a mortgage to buy their home and, yeah. and like that, they are well, and, building wealth in that. And that like hypothetically and hopefully will someday come down to us. But in a lot of black communities, that just doesn't really exist. Yeah. Well, and, and something I want to throw, and this is a tangent that we're not going to pursue, but I think, and, and you can resist this, but I've, I've lived in, in all the areas of the country and mm -hmm. this is reality. So the South always gets their, you know, the stereotype is, you know, Southerners mm -hmm. are racist, whatever this the South has a problem with racism. And I call crap on that because the South was forced to integrate after the Civil War. Mm -hmm. And they and obviously they had terrible problems with that, but they were forced to integrate. And now people have gotten over it, like like everyone who was upset, not everyone. Most of the people who were upset about the integration have like died, frankly. Um, but because of the systems that were put in place, like race relations have been able to progress mm -hmm. because they were kickstarted. Mm -hmm. Whereas in, in places like the Midwest and the North and, and whatever, that the forced integration never happened to that degree. Mm -hmm. So like you talk about, you know, my neighborhood, my neighborhood that my parents still live in is probably it's about 50 50 mm -hmm. as far as like the races that live there right are uh of our i i guess like four one two three four five i guess six neighbors one was asian one was hispanic and three were black and then the one across the street was was white um so mm -hmm. but i i and I know you were pushing me back on the systemic thing. I, I still, I'm going to hold on to avoiding that because I think the, the common perception when you use, whether like it may still be, it may, it, or it is fair, right? Because there are problems that happened 50, 100, 200 years ago that we're still dealing with the, the fallout of. Um, the reason I, I, I'm going to kind of resist using it is because I think when you say that today, people immediately say, okay, so we have to change the system. Mm -hmm. And I don't think the system is necessarily what's broken anymore. I think there are consequences from previously broken systems that we have to deal with. And I think mm -hmm. when we say just things like there's a systemic problem, I think in part that alleviates responsibility to actually deal with the problems we have today instead of 
you know, looking in hindsight and saying, oh, that was really messed up that our ancestors did or that, you know, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever happened back then, that was really messed up. And that's why we have this, this stuff today. And I'm thinking, yes, we can admit that was messed up. But let's actually deal with today's problems and not try to, you know, mm-hmm. deal with problems that were happening. So with the home value thing, um, yeah, that that there was that system back then. But I think the and I, I'm not an economist. I don't know what the what the solutions would be today. But I, I think you you put things in place that that help solve the problem today. Mm-hmm. Right. I, and I, I agree with you there. And I think, <clears throat> I think like in terms of your um, prescription of what needs to happen based on this warning light that we've now perhaps started to diagnose. Right. I think that's like, I'm with you on that note. I just think it's like, I don't know. I come at it from a different perspective on just, basically just the word or word systematic there or systemic um not systematic systematic is theology um but um i think all of this is to say like circling back to our original question that we started on 20 minutes ago um critical theory is a tool for looking at where there might be disparities in society um and that as a tool for that, it's pretty good. But in terms of its capability to then accurately diagnose the problem or even provide solutions, um, it starts to get used and abused. And And I think that this is something, you know, you name whatever it is. Mm -hmm. I I just think it's something that gets taken too far. Mm -hmm. Right? <clears throat> I mean, which is exactly what you're saying. Like, it's great to mm-hmm. notice these differences and to say, well, maybe we need to start to think about them. But then people are like, well, it must be because of this. And now we have to do this. And it's like, well, you just wanted to do this. You just wanted to do this. And you're using this as an excuse to push to what you wanted mm-hmm. to do. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and I, I wonder, you might disagree with me strongly on what I'm about to say, so we'll see. Um, after, oh, after the, the shoot, what was his first name? Floyd, George, George Floyd? Mm-hmm. Um, the, when, when that happened, I had a friend reach out to me and, and say something along the lines of, why aren't you using your platform to speak about this? And I thought of, because this, this was the kind of friend, you know, goes to protests, does the whole, and we might've talked about this before, but I, I don't think that you can cis, uh, systemically address these issues. The the fixes the fixes to these problems aren't systemic ones, right? Um, I am increasingly convinced that society doesn't. You can't you can't systematize change in society. Um, 
not i i mean you can but you have to go to really drastic measures mm -hmm. right like my stalin made it yeah my head immediately yeah, stalin, went to the way that uh the stalin Nazis managed took over the to, church well and and stalin managed to systematize all sorts of things in russia mm -hmm. he just had to kill a ton yeah. of people to do it right yeah. so you let me let me i don't think that protests i don't think that legislation i i i don't think that programs can fix jack can change jack right i am convinced that real change real real progress for these solutions and this is where i kind of want to make a theological turn is in how we live in our circles and how we how we treat one another and how we um and 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 real change happens from relationships right mm -hmm. so it's one thing for me to well i'm tired of using this housing example because i'm right now just i'm pissed about housing values myself so <laughs> That's fair. Um, for context, for anyone listening who's not in this in this region that I'm in, um, the average home value in Eastvale, California, is something like eight hundred and sixty-five thousand dollars. If I want to buy a house, I need to take a loan out for almost a million dollars. So I'm going to not use that housing example because I'm salty about that right now. Um, That's fair. So let's say, uh, oh, let's say something like gender bias. Um, it's it's all well and good for you to like say we're going to legislate whatever, but really, I think if you want to address gender bias, you need to treat both men and women with respect in your life encourage other people around you to do the same and when you have the opportunity to do to do things that that support gender gender equality i guess um you do so right i i genuinely i genuinely don't think that that really for a lot of this stuff the the solution is passing a law or doing a program i think it's act right as an individual and if any if everyone starts to act right as an individual you have the problem solved right now now there's the theology theological reality of sin and you're never going to get everyone to do the right thing all the time mm -hmm. um but that's kind of where i come down on a lot of this critical theory stuff is it's great for us to look at but the the solution as much as it kind of sucks that you can't just snap your fingers and fix it, it's not something that the government or or big companies or anything can just fix. It has to be individual changes on a societal scale, not societal changes trying not societal changes trying to work into an individual scale. If that so that's where I stand on a lot of this stuff. I think people overinflate it and they, they, I guess this, I, this is just like my solution based brain. They're going after stuff and I'm like, that's not going to fix your problem. Mm -hmm. um, 
and and maybe an example is a lot of the stuff that happens with welfare right we say well this is going to help people who are economically disadvantaged and for some i'm sure it does help some people mm -hmm. but like my mom worked with a lot of people on welfare she did she worked at a nonprofit um for it was like a pregnancy resource center um for first-time moms especially economically disadvantaged ones and for a lot of them it, it wasn't a stepping stone to economic security or economic independence it allowed them to persist in the place that they were at mm -hmm. right so like she <clears throat> she was supporting some like 14 15 year old moms who you know when you talked about like what got you here they said my mom told me it was my turn to have a kid so we'd keep getting the the financial assistance right um and i think a lot of those instances when you just try and we're going to put this big broad program that kind of ignores individual context you mm -hmm. don't end up solving your problem except in a few cases and mm -hmm. like i said i'm sure in a few cases it has accomplished its goals but i think across the board a lot of these things they either don't accomplish their goals or, or they actually end up being detrimental to the goals they started out with so that's where I come down on the critical theory, right? And then you can rip me a new one if you like. I don't know if you're. <laughs> what do you think, Ben? I've talked a lot. What do you think? So I think I'm half with you and I'm half not. Um, I think the idea. Are you half with me and half against me? Or are you half with me and half meh? Uh probably more the latter but maybe a little of the former um i'm just gonna i'm just gonna position myself here as the ultimate fence setter um i like that because I, I mean it's uncomfortable but it's it's good i i feel like that is i mean that's where we're called to as christians all the time because as beerman would say hold the tension yeah hold the tension or uh as man buns and jesus will say um ignore the pain in your butt um as you are fencing. i will not say that that is not nearly <laughs> as like catchy anyway um get a better fence yeah no it's chain link um <laughs> anyway um so on on the systemic issues thing i think it all kind of comes down to the diagnosis, right? If we have this warning light go off, if we look at the problem and the diagnosis truly is, okay, there's uh, nothing wrong inherently with the way that we're trying to address this systemically, but people are abusing the system. There might be some tweaks you can make systemically, but ultimately you need to address the people, right? Sometimes though, I think there are times where we look at the issue at play and the problem really is systemic and that it takes advantage of the people who are in a position where they don't have the ability to respond to the system. Um, it's not necessarily nearly as blatant or obvious as it was. 40, 50, 60 years ago, um, citing specifically the time that you were talking about where 
the the South was forced to reckon with re racial reconciliation. And I don't honestly disagree with you. I think at this point there's probably more racism in the North of this country than there is in the South, though it exists everywhere. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's just everywhere. Um, but like, I think the 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 solutions are never as straightforward as it's all a, an individual problem or it's all a systemic problem. It's almost always going to be a combination of the two. And you need to actually look at the specific problem at play to address that. Um, and I think where you're incredibly uncomfortable and where I will definitely get uncomfortable is when we look at an issue like housing prices and go, well, white people's houses are worth more than black people's houses. So we need to give people money to make up for the difference in that. Because all you're doing is taking the, like taking the problem and saying that the solution to this has to just be forcing it back to even, right? It's not addressing the underlying issues of like certain communities are possibly or potentially racist. Um, it's not addressing the issues of uh, certain communities struggle massively with pollution issues or um, are underfunded for their public works. And so uh, underserved populations keep ending up there. Um, th there's so much just like under the surface that we can't necessarily write off either answer in my opinion um yeah well and and here's i think why i maybe focus more on the individual is when you start jumping into all of that because first of all you can again without going to extreme lengths you can never really establish undeniable causality because you can't experiment with people like we <laughs> i mean you can't that's not allowed <laughs> i'm going to take you 50 people and put you in this neighborhood and we're going to take you 50 people and put you in this neighborhood because we want to see mm -hmm. what happens right mm -hmm. we can't do that mm -hmm. and i think like like you were saying there's so many things that go into any and those are just things you can kind of trace the line, but then you also have to mm -hmm. talk about things like, is there cultural pressure, right? Mm -hmm. Is is there, you know, are there other things that are playing into this that are even, that are less tangible? And when I think about all that, I, you can't, it, it feels like you can't do anything. And I think because in some respect, we can't because the, the, the simple reality is we're never going to get to perfection, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's against our nature. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons I focus so much on the individual, because I think it genuinely is, it, it's that cheesy tagline that's that so many people have on your on their wall but i think there's a lot of truth to it um something along the lines of god give me the strength to change what i can and the grace to accept what i can't right 
so I push for the individual stuff because I don't really have the 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 power to do much else. Um, so I think that's that's probably part of it. But I something that you said really did catch me. If if you are looking more and more into causation and there is a systemic cause, mm -hmm. I, I'm I'm in agreement. Then you have to do the systemic fix, right? If you find mm -hmm. there's a law that's or a or a policy that's doing something it shouldn't be doing, obviously fix that. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think as as we're thinking, <clears throat> what do I do? Mm -hmm. Live, you know, live, live, live in the way we're called to live, right? Mm -hmm. And when, when episode one, don't be a jerk. <laughs> like, it really, I really think a lot of this does come down to like the issues with racism, sexism, Asian, whatever. Don't be a jerk, right? Mm -hmm. If we live with the love and compassion, right? Uh, let's, let's expand this, right? If everyone lived, with the love and the compassion that we are called to live with as Christians, even let's just say all the Christians, you know, uh, mm -hmm. we'll say 50%. I don't know what the statistic is anymore, but let's say 50% of the country is Christian. If every single Christian acted with the love and the compassion that we are called to live with as Christians, a lot of these problems of critical theory, I genuinely believe would disappear. Mm -hmm. It maybe not disappear, but they would they would be greatly abated because mm -hmm. you have people treating each other with love and compassion and grace. Mm -hmm. And that's going to cover a whole lot of stuff, a whole lot of mm -hmm. the problems that we have. Mm -hmm. So maybe maybe you, that's part of it. Yeah, I'm going to give you one uh, very concrete example of where I think a systemic change kind of thing can work and then kind of give you a theological thought and maybe we can wrap this up. Um, right. You think we we've adequately beaten. made everybody upset? Yeah, I think we've beaten several dead horses. Um, but I'm gonna cite a story that my, my wife has told me. Um, she did an internship at UT Austin. Um, I think it was after her junior year of undergrad or uh, fellowship, research fellowship. And Part of that fellowship was that they took a look at different um, environmental things that were happening around the state. And one of those was a neighborhood um, that they looked at, not really gonna mention where, um, just so we don't have any random Texas listeners who get pissed off at us. Um, but this was a predominantly black neighborhood. And because Texas doesn't, uh, really zone anything anywhere. Um, there were no prohibitions in place to stop a, I can't remember what kind of factory, but a factory that used toxic chemicals in their production process from dropping their factory right next to a pretty substantial neighborhood that immediately tanked the home values in the area and slowly started poisoning the water supplies of the surrounding neighborhood. Um, and so when my wife visited, there were several blocks that had been raised around this factory because people ha people's houses were unlivable. Um, and 
people had gotten some compensation for the houses that had been lost, but it was not equal to the value those houses would have had if that factory would have never been allowed to have been put there. And that's an issue. That's an issue that is systemic. The system allowed that factory to be built in, an, uh, in a lower class neighborhood that happened to be black. And it had severe and significant consequences for the residents of that neighborhood. Yeah. Um, well, and, and in hearing that, yeah, there's a systemic solution, but I think the, where I, where I, my thought goes to that, that's a problem generally that's not mm -hmm. just a critical theory problem, oh, yeah. right? If yeah. you're a factory dumping toxic waste, you shouldn't like, <laughs> I, you shouldn't be my residential anything. I don't care if it's low income, mid, like mid income, mm -hmm. high income. Like if you're a factory dumping toxic waste, I've been, I've driven through Texas. There's plenty of wasteland for you to go to. <laughs> go there. It's already useless because it's a desert, right? Western We're half there. of the state is at least. Um, but all of that is to say, like, sometimes when critical theory like identifies issues, um, like market values of homes, sometimes there is a systemic issue that has a systemic fix. And that I just I cite that as a specific example, example where I think there is a pretty clear uh systemic fix to that issue. Um but that also like leads me to um, thinking about the way that God thinks about justice. Um, and this is where I'm going to kind of wrap up today because God doesn't just do justice on individuals. Um, he does it both individually and corporately. Um, individual examples would be something like I think it's Ananias and Sapphira, the the couple in Acts that uh, the ground swallows. No, no, that's no. They just no. They just dropped dead. Die. They just yeah. They just dead. dropped out. The the ground swallowing the the couple that's is that's Cora. Uh, yeah, yeah. Cora's rebellion. Yeah. Anyway, um, multiple times where God has smote people for being unfaithful, um, but on the flip side. Think about the way that he handled doing justice on like Sodom and Gomorrah or in the case of Noah, the flood destroyed the earth. Uh, he did justice on everyone all at once because everyone was, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, complicit in the injustice. They were all complicit in the sin, in the, in the, the problems that had formed um and he found the one faithful family and saved them but otherwise his justice was very corporate yeah well and not to get too far in but we look at this from the because we're American, the whole the whole idea of our justice system is innocent until proven guilty. Mm -hmm. Y'all, we're all guilty, 
right? As far as God <laughs> is concerned, yeah. in the absence of Jesus Christ, the punishment we deserve is death. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, when you go back and Abraham is pleading for Sodom and Gomorrah, he says, God, if you find, you know, 10 right, 20 righteous people, 10 righteous people, 5 righteous people in the city, will you spare the city? And God says, yeah. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, by God's standards, no one is righteous. Mm-hmm. So, sucks for Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I'm if I'm going to do one takeaway from this, it's have a cool and a cool head and a balanced approach to critical theory. And by that I mean. Don't take it too far one way, right? Don't don't say, well, we noticed this disparity, which means it has to be this, it has to be this, it has to be this, we have to do this, right? Recognize the limitations of what it can tell you. Mm-hmm. But on the other side, when someone says critical blank theory, don't flip out and start, keep your fruit of the spirit in mind, treat them with love and kindness and compassion and and recognize that we're called to do that in all sorts of situations in all sorts of places so i mean i i guess my takeaway is uh calm down and don't be a jerk is that how we do <laughs> that's it? very on brand that's very on brand um. like <laughs> yeah i'm gonna leave it at that we're gonna leave it yeah, at that all right i'm gonna say that my takeaway is to recognize how we've been catechized. Um, I'm going to make that a a catchphrase for us there. Uh, Yeah, mine's on my tablet, but mine is also right here. Um, Basically, what I mean by that is recognize how you've been brought up to understand the world. Um, And for people for whom, like, critical theory is the end all be all when it comes to fixing the world's problems. Um, that's likely how they've been catechized. And it's not that they're trying to uh, personally destroy your life, but they're trying to do what probably. they can. Yeah, you may probably. Ma- you, if they, our if listeners might've made enemies. I don't know. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I can't, I, don't know who I you can't pissed off. generally, they are not trying to personally destroy your life. Um, more often than not, they are trying to s- solve the same problems that you see around you. Uh, and they're doing it in the way that they think will best work. And so my encouragement to you based on that takeaway is to engage them in that conversation. And like Josh and I did, see how your views on the situation differ see how you might find middle ground and above all uh don't be a jerk (laughs) well and before we close because i really like your takeaway i i want everyone to kind of hear this and hopefully you've stuck with us this long in case you didn't pick up i i'm pretty sure ben and i are in two different places on this but you know we're (laughs) 
We're still going to be doing a podcast together. We still, we still, well, I still love Ben. I don't know how he feels about me. Um, but yeah, like, it's, we were able to have this discussion, even though we approach these problems from different perspectives and with different strategies. And, you know, at the end of the day, I, I am still convinced that we're both in, in a faithful place on, on how we're acting in the world and how we're interacting with, with people. Mm-hmm. So, and if you take nothing else away from this podcast, um, have dialogues like this one that are that mm-hmm. are calm, that are relaxed, and and that you know, obviously you're free to talk a little bit of crap, but but show love to each other. <laughs> and I think one thing that might even may not even uh, show up apparently to our listeners, but I think has happened in this is that I think we've both convinced each other a little bit of where we may have been in error. And I think that says something about Christian conversation. Uh, and if you haven't listened to our first episode on how not to be a jerk, go back and listen to that. And then listen to it, but, but warning the audio quality is not great. <laughs> Fair. I didn't have this mic yet. Um, yeah, don't, don't, don't get too far away from your volume knob because for me, <laughs> You're going to have to turn it up for Ben and down for me. Anyway, yeah. it is a good episode, though, I think. Yeah. We we might have to revisit just Christian conversation in general at some point. But uh, another encouragement, and perhaps this is, can be our, our kind of in total prayer thought for today, unless you have something further to add. Um, pray for patience. Pray for understanding. And pray for limitless love and grace um especially when you're talking or engaging with someone that you don't agree with um because you never know how you or they or both of you uh, might grow or how the spirit is going to move through those conversations yeah i'm good with that cool so um, we go yeah i guess i guess we're done (laughs) (laughs) Brothers and sisters, go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.